So debt. Talk about debt today. Financial worry. Uh, debt's a big one. Um, I did some research this this uh, last couple months on on debt. I found some interesting statistics. Um, one is that 80% of Americans are in debt. Um, actually, owes money. That's that's pretty bad. Uh, 43% spend more every year than they make. That's pretty scary. Uh, and so we get mad at like our government for doing the same thing, but a lot of us are doing that. And so how do we change this? Well, let's talk about the different kinds of debt. Uh, credit card debt. One in three Americans, 33% right now, and actually that number is declining. Praise the Lord. Uh, but one in three have unsecured debt that they can't pay off every month. Um, overall, Americans are carrying a grand total of, get this, $798 billion in credit card debt. So let me put that into perspective for you, because that's a big number. If you were alive when Jesus was born, and you spent a million dollars every single day, a million dollars, you would still not have spent $798 billion. That's a lot of money. How about this? Right now, there are more than 600 million active credit cards in the United States. And for the average household, they carry a debt of $15,799. And they carry that as an average rate of 13.10%. And so according to the uh, credit card calculator on the Federal Reserve website, which is a fun place to go, uh, it says that if you had $15,799, the average debt for American home, and you paid off minimum payments at 13.1%, and uh, this is what you would pay. You, minimum payments, it would take you over 30 years to pay that off. And you would be paying back a grand total of $34,084. That is where we're at. But that's not the only kind of debt we have. We have auto loan debt. That's another big debt. Approximately 70% of cars that are uh, bought and sold right now in the United States involve an auto loan. 45% of all uh, loans being made today are for, for auto loans are more than six years. Almost half. That's a long time. A lot of people don't even carry their cars that long. I do. I carry my cars a long, long time, um, especially when I can find their keys. That's important. The average auto loan, this is an important thing that I found, is, is $28,400 with a 4.56% interest rate for a payment of $530 a month. So most Americans' households have $530, at least one auto loan, going $530 coming out every single month. Um, how about mortgage debt? That's a big one. Uh, whole, total home mortgage debt in the United States is now about five times larger than it was 20 years ago. So it's about five times more expensive to buy a house. Historically, the percentage of Americans in foreclosure um, has risen um, between 1% to 1.5%. Of, that's where it was historically. Now it's 4 to 4.5%, and that's after the big bust in 2008. And uh, if you can believe it, as of today, mortgage lenders now have more equity in U.S. homes than do home buyers or homeowners have. That's crazy. How about medical debt? That's another big one. It's one I know very well. Uh, approximately 41% of all working age Americans have medical problems or debt um, and are currently paying off medical debt, 41%. And uh, according to uh, the uh, American Journal of Medicine, Medical bills are a major portion of stress in the U.S., and more than 60% of bankruptcies, according to the courts, uh, have to do with uh, medical bills. And 75% of those people that have bankruptcies have insurance. And so it's a big deal. Student loan. We talk about student loan debts. A lot of people have those. Uh, student, student loan debt in the United States is rapidly approaching one, get this, trillion dollars. 
So if you went out right now and started spending one dollar every single second, every second, you're like dollar, 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 dollar. Not only would you have like a bunch of junk, but you you could spend a dollar every second for thirty one thousand years to come up with a trillion dollars. That's a lot of money. That's a big number. In America today, approximately two-thirds of all college students graduate with a loan debt of over $25,000. See, we're a nation that's indebted. It's a big deal. In fact, we live in a culture right now that's basically debt-driven, isn't it? If you need a car, what do you do? You get a loan. If you want a house, what do you do? You get a mortgage. If you need to fill the house up with stuff, what do you do? You get a credit card. I mean, this is how we do it. You need an education? Get a student loan. This is kind of how we've grown as a society, and this is where we're at. And so what do we do? Well, I think what happens is all that debt becomes a big burden on us, doesn't it? And all that debt is something that we carry around in life, and it really does. It's it's anxiety-producing. It feels exhausting. Not only that, it's defeating because you feel like I'm going to work and where's all my money going? It's just disappearing into this giant vacuum of this, this, this debt. What, is, what do we do? Is this what God wanted for us? No. There is a different way. And uh, here's a, a powerful passage that I found. First uh, Timothy 6, 9 says this, that those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. If that is not a picture of our society, right? I mean, really, that is kind of a real picture. And, and is the desire to get rich bad? No, as long as it's not our main focus or goal. I mean, there's nothing in Scripture that says it's bad to have money. But it's when we make that the wrong priority. We make it our top thing. And in that desire to become rich, there's these temptations. Temptation is not just maybe to get rich, but to act rich, even before we are. And uh, that plunges lots of people into own destruction. And I think about how many marriages that I have seen fall apart because of debt and money problems. And how many folks that I've seen struggle with depression and all kinds of things because of debt and money problems. And, and how much health problems people face because of these things. There is has to be a better way. And we look to what does the Bible say about it. But first we have to say, what does the Bible not say about debt? Because really we are a financially illiterate culture. And at least as far as what the Bible says. And a lot of times people think that the Bible says things about debt that it doesn't. And because of that, we make bad decisions. And so we want to look at what does the Bible not say about debt? Well, the very first thing the Bible doesn't say about debt is it doesn't say it's a sin. So if you're here this morning expecting to get smacked over the head and like this big guilt trip, like you're standing guilty before God because you have debt, that is not the point. You don't have to flee God and say, oh, you know, I've got this debt and now I'm spiritually bankrupt because of that. No, you might be financially bankrupt, but that's not a sin. Nobody is going to go to hell because they carry debt. Okay? Debt, hell is not like a, a debtor's prison. Okay? So the first thing we're going to do is remove the moral stigma from it. If somebody's in debt, don't look down your nose at them like you're some kind of super righteous person if you don't have it. And if you're in debt, don't feel like somehow you're a smaller, darker soul person because you have it. Okay? God can help us. And God wants to help us. But we have to begin with at least understanding that it is not a sin. That said, uh, the Bible does offer many warnings of, of the dangers of debt. And so, uh, so we can debate the wisdom of going into debt or not, but we have to start saying it's not a sin. Second thing we've got to look at say is that uh, 
that it's not a sin to make a loan. The Bible doesn't say that. So uh, if it's not a debt to carry or not a sin to carry debt, it's not a sin to make a loan. In fact, in the scriptures, there are times that there are ways that it says if you're going to make a loan, these are the ways that you do this. There are right ways to do that in an honorable and a good way, and there are bad ways to do it, which you can you know, use the other person and abuse them, and God's not about that. But just making a loan to somebody by themselves is not a sin. Nonetheless, it's important for us to remember in this that it's not a sin to make a loan, that we have to make sure that if we're doing that, we're doing it in an ethical way. And knowing this, that if we make a loan to somebody, it changes our relationship with them. So if you make a loan to a child or a family member or a friend, know that until that debt's paid off, that it does change the relationship, and you have to consider whether or not that's an exchange that you want to make. Now, uh, it's also, the Bible doesn't say it's wise to borrow. It may not be a sin to borrow or to lend, but it never once, and all the times that the Bible talks about debts in Scripture, not even one time does it say that it's wise. In fact, every single time that it talks about making a debt, uh, making a loan and being indebted uh, and taking on debt, it, every single time it, it, it says it's with warning, be careful. And so there are times that um, that debt is unavoidable. Uh, what do you do like if you have to go to the hospital? You know, there, there are things, there are times in life where debt is, un, is unavoidable, but just to know that it's not typically wise and it's cautioned against. And so we don't go into debt lightly or quick. Now, another thing that it does tell us, the scripture doesn't tell us, is that God will bail us out of debt. I know a lot of people will say, they'll quote scripture wrong, and, and they will say, he, Philippians 4.19, I've heard this so many times, that, and my God will supply all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Amen. And yes, he will. God will absolutely take care of you. But when we then step outside of what he's doing for us, and then we go ahead and we take on unwise debt and things like this, God oftentimes allows us to work through the, the consequences of our poor actions. That's a great learning opportunity. And think about it as a parent. Uh, if every time your kid messed up, you just wiped away the consequences, would they ever learn? No, they would continue bad actions. And God doesn't just bail us out of debt. It's not like some morning God's going to say, well, I'm going to supply all of your needs and then you don't have to worry about it. We have to take debt seriously. And there will be consequences when we get into it, even if we get into it out of necessary means. I mean, debt is uh, it's something that we have to address. And of course, God does promise to provide all of our needs, and he will do that, and he will help us. But we have to be following him. Now, um, the Bible also doesn't say that debt is an exercise in faith. Uh, see, a lot of people say, well, you know, um, if I believe that I'm going to do this, you know, I just have, I have enough faith, I'm going to take out this loan or whatever, God's going to come through it. That's, that's tantamount of saying that, you know, God meets my needs through lenders. And that's not always how he does it. Now, there are times that God will provide an opportunity, but that's not, uh, you know, uh, that's not going to be the way that t- God typically works. He doesn't say ever once in Scripture, he's never once commanded somebody, go out and take a loan to do this great thing that I'm telling you to do. And trust me in it. It's just not in there. And so we have to see that um, a lot of times we as Christians, we try to spiritualize poor choices to excuse what really is a deeper issue. right? And so we'll try to say, well, this is an exercise of faith and make it sound good. But we just don't see that in the word. God never calls taking on debt an exercise of faith. In fact, in some ways, I would say taking on debt sometimes is a denial of faith because sometimes we take on debt and we 
because we want something and we won't really trust God that he's going to provide it for us. And we don't want to have the patience to wait for what he's going to provide for us. Or we don't want to do the thing, save the way that God teaches us to handle our money. And so we go and we go outside of that. We don't exercise faith and then we take on debt to get things that we want. And we bring all kinds of ruin in our life. And so that's the reality. What does the Bible say about debt, though? That's, this is the bigger thing. The Bible has a lot to say about debt. And, uh, and so First um, Timothy 5.8 um, gives us a, a great thing here. Um, actually, I just <clears throat> got into the wrong slide, but we'll just go with this one. Why don't we go with that? It says this. The Bible does say uh, about debt. It says that we must repay our debts. Pro, uh, Psalm 23:21 says this. The wicked borrow and do not repay. That's, that's pretty, pretty straight up, right? It says if you take debts, you don't pay them back. That's wickedness. And God's not wicked. In fact, First John it reminds us that God is light and there's no darkness at all. Um, when we take on a, a debt, we have a moral obligation, not just a fiscal obligation. It doesn't matter if we signed a contract or not. We have an obligation to pay that back. That's something that, that is to do with righteousness. Does that mean it's, it's always wrong for a Christian to clear bankruptcy? Not necessarily. It's a complex thing. There are things in Scripture even that make up the, the common law, which allows for bankruptcy, is based upon Scripture. It talks about if there is usury in place where a lender is charging an exorbitant amount of, of interest and making it impossible for somebody to free themselves from a debt and things like this. Then in those instances, yes. But even in those cases, the person that declares a Christian bankruptcy has an obligation morally to pay back what they borrowed. I mean, that's, that is a, a, an obligation. And so um, our legal system allows for bankruptcy and things like this, and it's a good thing. Um, and that was based upon the common law written through the, the, the law of Scripture. But we don't want to hide behind that really to excuse ourselves from responsibility, moral responsibilities that we have. If we borrow, we need to pay back. And uh, that's an important thing. The next thing the Bible does talk about is that is it's risky. It's just a risky thing. That's why it cautions us about it. It doesn't com- condemn it. It cautions us. James chapter 4, verses 13 uh, through 15, uh, he, he says this. He says, uh, this is an interesting um, thing. He says, uh, come now, you say, tomorrow, today or tomorrow we'll go out and, and to such and such a city and spend a year there and we'll buy and sell and make a profit. And, whereas uh, you do not know what will happen for tomorrow is what James is saying. He says, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall go do this and this or that and that, right? When we take on debt, we're basically saying, I will, I know that I'm going to be able to pay this back into the future. And the scriptures, in fact, this passage in James reminds us, none of us are clairvoyant. We don't know the future. And so it's a risky thing. When you take on debt, you're taking on an obligation that you can't guarantee truthfully, ultimately. And so... Um, it tells us this too, that co-signing or putting yourself into a surety is foolish. Um, Proverbs 11:15 says, and he who puts up security for another person will surely suffer. And those of you who may have co-signed for somebody in the past may say, amen, I testify to that, right? Because if they don't pay, you've got to pay and it changes the relationship, doesn't it? And so it says it's probably not a great idea. In fact, multiple times through scripture, it warns us against uh, co-signing not to do that. Um, but if you're in a surety situation, the Bible does doesn't just leave you there and say, you made a bad choice. It does help us. It says, get out of it as quickly as possible. It says, pay off that debt. And, as, and so one thing that you can do is set up an account where you put the money into that would, you would have to pay if that debt is default. 
uh, if it went into default, so you know that you have it covered. Um, so that's a lot to do with debt. Man, that's a lot. Did I just like barrage you with like what the Bible says and stuff like this? And then you think, man, there's a lot of debt out here. What do we do with that? Well, um, people try to address debt in a lot of different ways. And I see a lot of that when folks come into my office uh, and, and see kind of the, the frustration that they have. And so, uh, and so maybe you say, well, how am I going? What's my plan? What's my game plan? Well, I hope that it doesn't look something like this. Sanders, Hi. Jim and Joanna. I'm Joanna. <laughs> now I know you opened the door and you went, uh-oh, it's those nosy uh -oh. neighbors. Nosy neighbors. Oh, we're not no, nosy. We're not. Well, kind of we are. Maybe. <laughs> Here's the deal. A lot of times throughout the years, we've knocked on your door and said, hey, what can we do for you? Yeah. You know, because that's the type of people we are. But this time we're going to kind of turn the tables. Flip-flop. And ask you what you can do for us. Yeah. Hey, oh, hey, 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 hold the phones, hold the phones. You see, we're just cut to the quick, okay? Yeah. We have no money. We're broke. <laughs> we got nothing. Yeah, zippo zookus. Nada. Bupkis. You see, what we've done is we've taken the happy train to Credit Town. Woo, woo. And we've been having so much fun. We are up woo. to dead in our eyeballs. Over our heads. <laughs> so we need your help. Yeah. Okay, 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 okay. I know what you're thinking. Hey, aren't you believers? And we are. We are. We love the Lord. So much. And we've been loving the world. Woo. <laughs> you guys have some great stuff out there. Really? At our house, it's proof. We got so many gizmos and gadgets. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> and we ain't about to give them up. Nope. Okay, so here's what we've decided to do. Yeah. We have proposed a bailout package for you to help us out with. What do you say? Yeah. Oh, 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 hey. Oh, hey, Senator, hold on there, okay? <laughs> you see, we need your help because we are scared. Yeah, we're so stressed out. We got creditors nipping at our heels like a duck on a gym bug. <laughs> She's got away with words, and it's so true. Yeah, yeah. It's so oh, true. We're so scared. It's, we're like a, a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. <laughs> All right, Juno, that's enough. Okay. See, here's the deal. The Bible says yeah. in the book of Malachi. That's Malachi. Whatever. It says, God says, says, hey, 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 test me with your money. Bring all your tithes into Bring the storehouse. And I'll just be honest with you. I failed every test. And my storehouse is about to have a pool. Woo! We are so excited. Yeah. And we ain't getting rid of that. Nope. So what do you say? Can you help us? Yeah. We've, we've earmarked this rescue yeah. plan. Oh, hey, 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 hey. It's good stuff. It's win-win. Come on. Okay. At least, at least just give us some flour. Can we have some flour? Oh. Hey, our son's birthday is this weekend. You could just take that flower and make us a whole cake. What do you say, huh? Yeah. Well, that's a fine howdy-do. I know. Well, I guess it's back to the house to do a revision on the rescue plan. Well, we got to hurry. I got a manicure in 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Debt can make us desperate, can it? <laughs> I hope that it hasn't made you that desperate. But the thing is, what do we do with debt? The Bible does tell us. He doesn't just leave us say, well, it's dangerous or whatever. It gives us some hope and it helps us understand how do we get rid of this burden. This is what the Bible teaches us to do with debt. And the first is this. Get out of debt as fast as you can. That's what it says. In fact, um, in uh, Proverbs 6, chapter 1, it says, My child, if you have put up a security for a friend's debt or agreed to guarantee a debt of a stranger, if you have trapped yourself by an agreement or are caught by what you said, so basically, if you've gotten into debt, either for somebody else or for yourself, the Bible actually says this is what you're supposed to do. In Proverbs, the book of wisdom, what does it tell us to do? It says this, save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter. 
like a bird fleeing from a net. Now, think about the picture that he just paints there. When you are a gazelle and somebody like a tiger is chasing you, what do you do? You run fast, don't you? Everything you've got, you've got to go. Gazelles who are escaping the hunter don't just meander their way out of trouble, do they? They run. They run with intensity. They run with purpose because they're running for their life. And a lot of us in our culture are running for our lives. We've got to understand what this is. When you have a burden of debt, it ties us down and it keeps us from doing the things that God has prepared for us to do. It keeps us from stewarding His resources the way that He's called us to steward them. We may have made mistakes and we may have had things that happen in our life that put us into debt. What do we do? We escape. You have to have an intensity. You have to decide, I'm going to get free. If you don't have that intensity, if you don't say, well, I'm going to actually do this, I'm going to get free, I'm going to, I'm going to find freedom, then you're going to get trapped. And there's not a whole lot of hope. Scripture says, run, run fast, escape as quick as you can. So how do we do that? Well, you've got to start with the heart. There's a reason that most of us are in debt. And it starts here. And the first thing that we see when Luke says Jesus is talking about this, and, and we set the scene, uh, this guy comes up to Jesus and says, my uh, parents passed away and my brother is not giving me the right part of the, of the family estate. So would you make sure that he gives me that? And Jesus says, hold up, that's not what I'm here to do, right? But then he tells this person, he says this, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And Jesus goes to the heart of this man who was seeking just material things. But I think he also speaks to our heart. A lot of times that we get into debt is because we have bought into the lie of the materialism. That what we see here and now is what is real. And we are warned against that. And we have to start with what's in our heart. And then after Jesus told him this, he told this parable. And I love parables because they make a whole lot of sense. And he tells this parable of this, this man who looked for security in his storehouses. And so the story goes like this. Uh, the guy, he, he, he says, I'm going to be secure. And so he builds these massive storehouses and he fills them with all kinds of grain and all this wealth and stuff like that. And when they're filled, he says, aha, I now have security. I can rest easy now. I have saved and saved and it's all good. And then he says, uh, God says, you fool. You didn't even know that tonight your life would be required of you. <laughs> that was a dumb way of trying to find security. And then Jesus, he concludes that story and he says this. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So we have to start at the very beginning. And the beginning is this. Do you love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, strength? That's where we have to begin. I mean, that's what's going to keep us out of the trap of debt. It's going to, to help us live a life of purpose and freedom. We have to start by loving God. In fact, I think a lot of us would like to have you know, a lot of things here, and that's not, the, that's not wrong. But we make that so important that we forget our relationship with God. And when we forget our relationship with God, we forget the fact that He's the owner and that we are His, his financial managers right? His asset managers. 
And then the money that he owns and the things that he owns begin to own us. And this becomes crippling, and it's not the way he designed it. The first step to a financial freedom is to get right in your heart, and no secular financial counselor will ever tell you this, which is one of the reasons that they can't fully solve the problem. You have to get right with God. And it doesn't matter how indebted you are, God loves you deeply, and he cares for you deeply, and he is big enough and strong enough and powerful enough to help you through where you are now. But you have to go to him and give him your heart. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all those other things will be given to you. Start with the heart. Let's turn our hearts back to God. And maybe for you this morning, that starts with repentance of looking at the debt that you carry and looking at the things that you have and said, have I made this world too important? God, I need to make you most important. And we begin by turning our finances back to him. The second thing we need to do is God doesn't just, once we have our heart with him, he says this, then we can fight materialism with contentment. This is a powerful thing that advertisers do not want you to know. We have a power in Christ that the rest of this world can't even comprehend because we know that we are owned by the owner of all things. And he cares for us and he meets all of our needs. And this world truly isn't even our home. And we're storing up better wealth in a much better place, which means that our hopes are not placed here, which means that we can have something that no one in this world can have. We can have contentment regardless of our circumstances. Paul said, I've had much and I've had little. And it doesn't matter how much I have or how little I have. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's power. That's the power to live through a life today and not feel upset by the little things you have. That's what keeps you from being like the couple in that video. It says, well, we love the Lord, but boy, we love the world. And because of that, the bondage that they put themselves in. Right, Hebrews 13.5, isn't that true? Don't love money. And we can just broaden that out. Don't love this material world. John even says that. Don't love the world. Anyone who loves the world, love the Father, can't be in them. We have to begin with this contentment. We start with God, and when we are contented with God and realize that all of the deeper longings and needs that we have, who I am, my security, my identity, my success is all rolled up into my Savior. I am a child of the King. I am saved. Right? I, I, am, I am okay. I am successful. In the kingdom. I mean, in fact, when, when you came to faith, angels threw a party in heaven. That's how important you are. We don't need wealth here on this earth to prove your value. We don't need wealth on this earth to give you some type of contentment like, like your life matters. You don't have to need wealth on this earth to show you that you are successful. We can be content with what we have because we know that God gave us exactly what we need right now to the ministry that he's called us to do right now. And our hope is in something bigger. So we start with this, loving God, and then beginning to, to have this contentment. Don't love money. And you see the power of how do we be satisfied with what we have? It goes back to our love for God. Or I trust God. God says, I'm not going to fail you. I'm not going to abandon you. We can trust him. And the only way you're going to be able to trust God is when you actually love him. So we have to start with that. Next thing that we get to do, I think this, is we have to get a plan. God is a brilliant God, and he's a God that, that helps us. He doesn't just say, do, do willy-nilly things, whatever. God very much, many times through Scripture, says, if you want to, to do something, 
set out a plan, figure out your costs, get a plan, go ahead and do it. Right? He's, and so what kind of plan are we going to use? Well, I'm going to suggest one just because our church goes through this uh, Dave Ramsey's uh, Financial Peace University. My wife and I took it. Fantastic, by the way. And we're going to be launching a new one in January. If you haven't taken that or if you have and you want to do it again, I encourage you to do this. But this is the plan that they have offered, and it's worked for millions of Americans. And uh, here's some things that we want to do. Uh, you want to start uh, with building a cushion. Uh, my wife and I, we have had more than our fair share, it seems like, of of medical debt, and yet we're grateful for that debt because it keeps that means that she's alive, and so that's not as something that we are upset by seeing. It's actually proof that she's here. It's something that we're glad to pay. But what do we do? Well, for many years we didn't know. We just paid everything that we could, just like every penny just went into that. And what happened was, is then things would happen in life, like the car would break down, or the water heater would start leaking, or whatever. And then what would we do? Well, we had no money because we kept paying it to the hospital. And so then we would have to pay for credit card for fixing things. And then we got into all kinds of bad trouble with that. This is an amazing, amazing help. I wish I would have known this 10 years ago. You get a cushion. It's okay to do that. Pay your minimum payments and save some till you get a cushion. Now, he suggests you start with $1,000, right? Now, for my wife and I, we weren't comfortable with that because we know how quickly $1,000 can go when you lose tires on your car. So we bumped that a little higher. I'm sorry, Dave, but we did. But you start with a cushion. You build yourself a cushion. It's an amazing thing that he talks about this. When Murphy shows up at your door, he doesn't show up at your door so much when you have a cushion. The more of a cushion you have, the less he shows up. I don't know why. It just happens that way. So start with a cushion. Get $1,000. Put it in your account. Save that. Don't touch it unless it truly is an emergency. All right? Next thing we want to do is you've got to identify your debts. You have to understand, where is my money going? And I think a lot of us, we look at the minimum payments, the bills come in and you just pay it, but you have no real concept of how much you really owe. You owe more than your minimum payment, by the way. And we have to say, who do I owe and how much do I owe them to identify those debts? And then you snowball to freedom. Now, this is how you do that, is you take the debts, and you list them out, and you say, what is the debt that I owe the most to? Well, that's the one I'm going to pay off last. Okay, so I'm just doing minimum payments. That's what I'm, what's the one I owe second most, right? And you get all the way down to the one that I owe the least. And that one you owe the least is the one you really start running like a gazelle. Every extra dollar after you have your savings, you put towards paying off that first debt. And once that debt's paid off, then you take the money that you were paying off, the extra money for that one, plus the minimum payment for that one, and you pay off the next biggest debt. And then once that one's paid off, then you do the next one. It's like a snowball. And I would love to use snow as an illustration. We just don't have much right now. But if you remember when we had snow, it would start like a snowball. You would make like a little tiny ball, and you would roll it, and the snow would get bigger and bigger and bigger. That's the way that it also works with your debt repayment. It's amazing how quickly and how powerfully that works. And you might say, I can't put anything extra in there. Well, we'll talk next week about budgets and how we find that money. But even if you just start with a minimum payment and pay off your smallest debt first, once that debt is paid off, take the minimum payment of that. Don't just go spend it on something else. Pay it towards your next debt. Now, there's a tool that we ought to give you if you would like some help with that. And this is a tool that has really helped me and my wife. And this is great. It's called the Debt Snowball, and this is what it is. And we're on the resource table in the back, right there, Bibles and stuff. And on the back here is just this cool thing, and it says debt. So you can list them out, and then it's the total payoff amount. And then um, here's your minimum payment, right? And then your new payment. And what the new payment is, is you take your minimum payment plus, 
plus the minimum payment from the, from the ones before, right? It just keeps adding up. And it's amazing how quickly you will start to pay off that. So that is an actual plan, a tool that you can go home and start with today. Now, uh, I encourage you to do that. Get a plan and start working it. All right? And so that is uh, some freedom in order to get rid of this. Because wouldn't you like to live your life without hauling this around? I know I would. And we're working at it. And I think as the church becomes better and better stewards of God's resources, right? And as we start to get rid of this particular burden, empty that worry that we have, imagine the amazing things that we could be doing with that extra, the stuff that God has, has put into your life. This is money that you don't even see anyway. That's money that you can invest in eternal purposes, incredible things. So, build a cushion, identify the debts, and snowball the freedom. Remember, all of that comes after getting your heart right with God. You have to start there. And then being learning contentment with what you have. So let me encourage you today as we bring this, this message to a close, and I, you can grab your connection card and there's some ideas. There are some things that you can do uh, to really help with that. I think with learning that contentment and, and that love for God, there is nothing like God's word to help us with those things. It is powerful. It does tell us that in Scripture it is powerful, but it also tells us through experience that the Word of God is very powerful. And it does amazing things in our lives. And so maybe this week you start with, you memorize Hebrews 13, 5. Don't love money. Be content with what you have. Right? For God said, I'm never going to fail you. I'm never going to abandon you. Maybe you start there. Maybe you're scared and you're exhausted and you, and you, and you have no idea how you're going to get out of it. Start with loving God. God loves you deeply. And he's never going to fail you. And he's never going to abandon you, even where you are right now. And so we need to learn contentment. So maybe that time when, you, when that thing that you really want to buy, and you know in your budget you probably shouldn't do it because you can't pay for it right now, maybe this is something that speaks in your heart and helps you say, I'm going to say not yet. All right? Maybe this is the verse that's going to be able to help you resist the call to materialism. Maybe when you feel discontent, this verse can remind you that God doesn't leave you and he hasn't abandoned you and he's given you exactly what you need right now. So to ask him, say, God, help me be content. Maybe you start this week and say, I need this verse alive in my life. And so I'm going to set it to my heart. Maybe what you want to do is you want to read 1 Timothy 6. Why? Because in 1 Timothy, it's a book that was written to Timothy by Paul, who is a leader of the church. And it's really talking about how does the church, how do we work together? And 1 Timothy 6 talks about the relationship between money and the Christian and how we ought to interact with it. And maybe this week you want to go in and say, God, what do you have in your word that deals with, as a Christian, as a believer, how am I supposed to interact with money? What is the right way that I do that? Maybe you say this week, I'm going to start. I'm going to read in my devotion time. I'm going to read 1 Timothy 6. I'm going to think about what it says. I'm going to pray over it until I understand it. Um, that's what I'm going to do. Or maybe what you need to do, even right now, is you say, this week I'm going to start by addressing my heart. I'm going to really start, really honestly, transparently, just between me and God, saying, God, show me. Am I, am I wrong here? Am I looking for things and money in the wrong way? Do I love money? Because I know in your word it says I can't serve two masters. So show me. Maybe that's where you begin. God, am I loving you? Ask yourself the question, and maybe that's where you begin, or maybe you already know. You look at your life and the things that you have, and you feel the bondage, and you're like, well, the evidence is pretty clear. 
I don't even know how to change, but God, help me to love you first and most. Maybe that's where you begin. Or maybe the other thing you can do, maybe you have that heart thing, you want to love God, you're already there. Maybe you need to do is make a plan. I've given you a real quick one. It's a good one. You know what? Here's a great way of, if you want to help some more help with that, come to the Financial Peace University. <laughs> That's a great thing to do. Listen, there's all kinds of helps and podcasts. Come talk with me. There's some good things that we can do, but maybe what you need to do is make a plan. And maybe that plan starts with a budget, and fortunately for you, that's what we're going to talk about next week, what God says about how we can do a good budget and how to do that. But maybe you say, I need to make a plan. I can't just flee in any direction. I need to flee away from these things. It matters which way I run, so I need to make a plan. And that's what you commit to this week. Or maybe there's something else. Maybe there's a different thing that you have going on. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and saying, this is what I want you to do. Write it down. Let me know. We'll be praying for you this week, supporting you in every way that we can. That's the power of the church. Maybe there's another commitment that you have to make. Certainly want to make sure that you, you make those. If you have a prayer request, let us know. We pray because our God doesn't leave us. He doesn't fail us. He doesn't forsake us. In fact, he helps us through all things. And so if you have a prayer request, write it down and know that we're going to join you this week. Now, here in just a minute, what we're going to do is we're going to take our offering. And, uh, and, uh, bef- and when we take our offering, I want you to take this connection card and place that in the offering as is passed. I would appreciate that. Before we do that, we want to take some time and actually pray to this God who is with us, who is able to cancel our debts, help us it, it, through these difficult things and provide all of our needs. We have an amazing God. So if you have a prayer request, I would like you to, you know, you can join me in, in voicing that or you just say it pri- privately to God, knowing that he hears us. But this is a time we would like to come together to him and, uh, and to know that we talk to a living and a powerful God who cares for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for you. We're thankful that you are the creator of all things, the owner of all things, that you care for us as your own children, that you will never fail us, you will never abandon us, that we can trust you, that you've provided everything, everything that we need. And like Paul, whether we have a lot or we have little, we can be content. So help us as a church in this culture of discontentment to learn contentment in you. Father, I pray for us as a church family that we would not be caught up by this world, that we would not so love this world, Father, that we would lose our love for you. Help us to see this world as it is, as the mission field that you have called it, Father, and that you have called us to go and to make disciples of all people, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them how to obey you in all things. So help us, Father, to see this world in the right way to be on task and on mission, knowing that our hope and our security is not here. Father, I know that debt is a big deal in this culture. And I pray for those that are in our church family that are struggling and and feel burdened by this debt. Father, I pray, Lord, first that you take away the stigma and the guilt that they may feel. And that it's not the helpful thing or the shame. Thank you for the way that you teach us and, and and you treat us with such grace. But Father, I pray that they would also, Lord, that you would encourage us, show us the way out, change our hearts, help us to address the heart issue, teach us contentment, help us to make good plans and to keep them, help us to be a church family that are wise stewards of your resources, that we would invest them into your purposes whilst we are here. Father, thank you that you're a practical God and you don't just care about the ethereal things of the mind, but you care about our day-to-day living because you've made this world and you care for us. So help us to surrender ourselves, all of us, to you. And now, Father, as we continue in prayer, I ask that you would guide us in our hearts. Lord, hear our prayers, we ask in Christ's name.